When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Hey, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Hope you're having a safe Halloween. Any good costumes out there? We had some good ones at work today, Dustin. Did you see some of the... I I wasn't around for the, I guess, the parade of the costumes, but they were emailing it... uh, to the people who weren't here, because I'm not—I'm usually not here till two, two thirty in the afternoon, right? So, people were wearing them at the lunch. So, what did we have? We had uh, a guy dressed as uh, what was it, Milton from Office mm-hmm. Office Space, the guy with the the stapler. Yeah, that was pretty good. We had uh, my pillow. The my pillow. Well, that was uh, that was Matt, Jack, and Chris from downstairs, right? Dressed as my pillow and came up and got pictures with Ryan Jesperson. And then who was it that dressed as as Matt? Chris and Jack. I uh, was the two office receptionists and yeah. the office manager. Right. That was pretty good, yeah. too. So we had some good costumes. We had somebody came as a whoopee cushion. Uh, what else did we have? Somebody had a really cool face painting. Looked like a big skull, right? Did you see that one? I'm not even sure who that was. Some of the costumes were so good. Oh, and uh, somebody dressed as a cactus, which I thought was a- an interesting costume choice. But it was pretty cool. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. It is 7.07. Thank you very much for tuning in tonight. Elaine, listening in Castle Downs, says, Muskox are found in Canada and Greenland. The males do stink during the rut. So there you go. We learned a little bit about muskox tonight. Uh, This texter, Foo, says... Oh, my God, Dustin doesn't know about the Great White North. Well, I'm officially a geezer. I'm going to have to get me a 2-4 and drink away my sorrows. <laughs> and uh, Alan the Farmer says, Reed, it's hard to find good help these days, ain't it, bud? But seriously, he doesn't know who Bob and Doug McKenzie are? <laughs> the, the, the most horrifying thing about Halloween is uh, Dustin Kaufman and his lack of SCTV knowledge. We'll change that as we move along. It's okay. Uh, 780-496-0063 is the phone number. You can also text 630-630. Always appreciate your sports and non-sports texts, especially if they make me or anybody else laugh. They are definitely worth it. Hockey tonight. The Golden Knights lost last night. Up 4-2 on the Rangers in the third tonight. Red Wings. Leading the Coyotes 3-1 in the second period. After one, the Jets have a 1-0 edge on the Wild. And the uh, World Series, 1-0 for Houston, middle of the third. Justin Verlander on the mound for Houston. Verlander will not lose this game for Houston. They're going to win the World Series. Chris from Phoenix. Chris, if Kellen were here, 
He would be playing the Heat Is On from Beverly Hills Cop, but Dustin's new, so we'll train him on that. What's going on? Hey, it's all good. No, no worries. Uh, you know, welcome uh, to uh, Oil Country, Dustin. Uh, I don't know if he's he's from Oil Country, but uh, you know, I've never heard him before, so it is what it is. Uh, like I was telling him, what I wanted to talk about. So, uh, are the Oilers players going to dress up like a hockey team? Well, I, anyway, I'm just joking. I, I about, hope so. I'm buddy. just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, little. I'm not going to say that I'm too too worried. It sucks that we were starting off kind of slow. Uh, I, I think uh, minus a couple games here. I, I pretty much watch every single game. Minus a couple games here. Obviously, the Winnipeg game, and I think uh, I think there was one more. Maybe the Caps game. But even that Caps game, we were playing fairly decent. It's just uh, uh, I, I think we're a little bit snake bitten. Like we're running into some some backup goalies. I know with uh, with Vancouver um, Markstrom or whatever was like riding like a horseshoe or something, and a couple of other goalies, same thing. So the, the shots are there. Uh, I think we probably just need to uh, get a little bit more higher scoring, uh, higher. Uh, uh, what's the, what's the word? I'm like higher uh, percentage higher, shots or higher shooting percentage? Yeah, higher quality, higher quality shots, maybe. Right. Um, the only thing that kind of worries me is if, if Secker comes back and let's just say we turn it around. Um, is Sekera that important to our back end that he's going to cost us to to lose uh, the games that we have lost? Um, and the issue is, is how long is it going to take for him to get back into game shape? So uh, we'll see what happens here. Uh, you know, another two games. If we're if we're three and seven or whatever, uh, then I'm going to be a little worried. Uh, but as far as as we are now, I think uh, you know our time will come. So. I don't think that Vancouver and Vegas are going to sit there at the top of uh, the Pacific for uh, the entire season. So I think we're, we're good. And uh, I, I trust Shirelli. I think he'll make a trade if need be. And uh, trust in Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's all I have. And happy Halloween. Let's go Oilers. Chris from Phoenix. Always love when he checks in. Thanks for calling, Chris. Good stuff. It is 7-10. So Oilers and Penguins tomorrow. Phil Bork won two Stanley Cups with the Penguins in the early 90s. Now an analyst for the team. Phil, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Uh, always a pleasure to come on with you and talk some hockey. Yeah, we do this a couple times a year. Uh, obviously, the Penguins have had some playoff runs, or we talk before the two teams play. And uh, we're always talking over the phone, but I got to see you at the rink this morning. So I have to ask you, Phil, you have a, a beard that looks like it's about three years' worth of playoffs. What's, are you a hipster now? What's, what's the story with the big beard? I've always been a hipster. Come on, don't fool yourself. No, uh, you know, it's, there, there's multiple reasons, and I'll make it brief. Number one is we're going for a three-peat. So i got to keep the beard. I kept it last year for the repeat. And I got to keep the beard on for the three peat. But here's a little sidebar to that: is over the summer I had a little charity event that I uh, partook in, and uh, I don't know if you, you or your listeners, uh, have ever heard of Brett Kiesel, who used to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, he had a pretty burly beard when he played football in the NFL, and uh, now that he's retired, he does a thing for Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh called Sheared the Beard, and uh, at a local establishment. He raised, uh, raises thousands of dollars, uh, tens of thousands of dollars for the Children's Hospital Cancer Ward. And so uh, over a few uh, tall, cold ones, wobbly pops this summer, uh, a handshake agreement later, and I'm going to be a part of Shear the Beard. So part of that uh, agreement is I'm not allowed to trim or shave the beard in any way, shape, or form. So it's pretty burly. It's pretty nasty. Uh, the good thing is I can usually keep... Uh, you know, a little bit of food in there if I get a little hungry during the day, and, and I'm good to go. 
<laughs> well, it it is epic, but that's a great and I, and I do remember uh, Brett playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I do remember that beard. So uh, uh, good for you for for getting involved. He must be. I mean, he didn't play a glamour position, but he he must be one of the most popular uh, Pittsburgh athletes of probably the last. I mean, I know there's been a couple of really big name hockey players, but he's got to be a pretty uh, popular athlete for a guy who worked in the trenches most of the time, eh? Absolutely, a Pittsburgh guy, and he does a lot with. Uh, with kids, he's a he's a hunter and a fisherman, but he brings in a lot of kids and a lot of handicapped kids, and he'll go fishing with them, or he'll 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 teach them uh, about being out in the woods and uh, respecting nature and all that. He's and he lives in Pittsburgh. That's the other thing. I mean, there's been there's been some great athletes come down the turnpike in Pittsburgh, but not all of them have stayed in Pittsburgh. Like Brett Kiesel, he's a down to earth guy, huge hockey fan, was at a bunch of games during the playoffs, and uh, it's it's just. Uh, got the mentality of a of a pittsburgh guy that he's humble he's proud and uh he just has a connection with whether you're a pittsburgh steeler fan or a penguin fan that he definitely has that connection does a lot with charity also which makes him an extra special guy yeah that's awesome stuff phil bork joining us on inside sports tonight former pittsburgh penguin now an analyst for the team and I, I was looking at the at the stats and going over some of the standings, Phil. I, I mean, the Penguins, you know, a decent record, couple games over five hundred, uh, profoundly negative goal differential. I mean, how how do, how do you have a team that's a pretty good team with a decent record and they've lost seven one twice and they lost a ten one game earlier in the season? What what a crazy discrepancy for some of this team's results. Yeah, those games that you're referencing are were the second game of back-to-backs uh, that the Penguins have had already. They're going to have 19, which is tied for the most, I believe, with, uh, with Ottawa for the most back-to-backs in the regular season. Um, no excuse at all. Part of the reason, yes, uh, but the Penguins won't make an excuse for that. And the reason they're above 500, uh, well, there's only two things. Uh, number one is their goaltending. And Matt Murray's been outstanding this year. And they've got some opportune goals uh, in bonus hockey in, in the uh, overtime. So, uh, you know, the biggest problem for the Penguins right now, Reed, is, is they have a tough time scoring five on five. Uh, three on three, it's, it's a blast. It's fun. There's lots of ice, and they've got the talent where they can put the biscuit in the basket. But five on five, it's been slim pickings. And if you're going to have one or two of those stinkers, okay, fine. You learn from them, you go on, and sometimes you, you can learn a lot more from getting punched square in the nose than you can maybe losing the game three of the two, and you think, oh, we're one shot away. But this has been too many times uh, this year where I'm certainly not in panic mode. I'm concerned. I'm a little bit worried. But uh, I trust in Mike Sullivan. I trust in Jimmy Rutherford. They'll, they'll get this thing fixed real quick. Well, you, 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 you used a lot of terms that a lot of Oilers fans have been using, not not in panic mode, but concerned, but still trusting the you know the coach and some some leaders on the ice to to get it going in the right direction. And, and you referenced Matt Murray and the goaltending. The save he made on Latestu last week was incredible. I, I really thought I don't know about you, Phil. I thought that was a really well goaltended game uh, by both Talbot and Murray. Uh, you know, it was tough. One guy had to take, I guess, the overtime loss for 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 Talbot. But I, I just thought both goalies were exceptional in that game. Though Murray wound up, I guess, with the win and the highlight reel save. Yeah, I concur. Matt Murray's a real deal. He's 23 years of age. Uh, last year was actually considered a rookie. And he's already got two Stanley Cup rings in his pocket. So he's he's the real deal. Um, and, you know, I also th- thought that Cam Talbot had one of his strongest games. I'll be honest with you. 
I think maybe we've talked about this before, that uh, with you guys being out here uh, on the West, a couple hour difference than the Penguins, I love when I get home after our games and I flip on the Oilers. They're, they're a fun team to watch, win or lose. Uh, you you have full entertainment value. Uh, but with that being said, I think the common denominator for both these clubs is they've underachieved so far. Uh, you know, whether you have a bit of a losing record like the Oilers or a little bit of a winning record by the Penguins, I think that uh, fans, players, uh, coaches, uh, management, owners uh, are not real happy with the product right now. And knowing that maybe I think both teams might be a little bit guilty of reading their press clippings, a lot of pats on the back, there was a lot of people who picked the Oilers to win the Stanley Cup. Are you kidding me? Uh, that's a lofty praise for a, a team that uh, you know is still uh, young and green behind the ears. But you know, you got enough people telling you that you start to believe it, and you forget the price you have to pay, the toll you have to pay in the National Hockey League to win. It's steep, and if you have one or two, three passengers, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you got a McDavid. I don't care if you have a Crosby. You're not going to win in this league. That's just the reality of the National Hockey League. Well, you know what, it's funny. You mentioned that, and, and you being a two-time Stanley Cup champion yourself who played with a generational player. I mean, uh, I mean, Mario Lemieux was around two points a game <laughs> average when, when, right. you, when you played with him. But I, I'm just checking back the record here. Now, it was a smaller league, and there weren't as many games decided in overtime. There was overtime, but there were still ties. Uh, I mean, even the second year you guys won the Stanley Cup, you won 39 games, which means you had uh, 41 games where you either lost or, or, or got a tie. So, I mean, you must have had that uh, experience, too, as a player where, you know, geez, we won last year or we had a good previous season, but we're not quite getting what we need out of all these games, eh? No, I'm glad you brought that up because... I was actually thinking about that, that, yeah, we won the Stanley Cup in 91, and in 92, you know, we lost our head coach, Badger Bob Johnson, to brain cancer, and Scotty Bowman came in and took over completely different personalities behind the bench. But we went through a stretch read. Uh, we won only five out of 24 games, and we were in, uh, we were in a bad way. We weren't going to make the playoffs. Two things happened. Craig Patrick, our general manager, had, uh, um, had kahunas the size of a Volkswagen. Uh, as he pulled the trigger on a couple deals, he traded Paul Coffey, Hall of Famer, Mark Recchi, Hall of Famer, and we ended up getting Rick Tockett back. It changed our locker room. Uh, it was a message to everybody in our locker room that uh, we're going for it again. We're a team that can go for it again. I don't know if it's going to come to that for the Oilers or the Penguins, but I don't think either general manager is going to sit on his hands and wait for the players to completely figure it out. They'll give them a gentle nudge. They'll give them some... Uh, some positive reinforcement, and maybe give them half of a size 11 up the backside uh, before they'll pull the trigger on a deal. But sometimes change can be good, and if the players can't figure it out, then the GM will. That's the nature. That's some tough love there come the National Hockey League. Yeah, and it's tough to, I mean, the Penguins, uh, they're, you know, they're still in a playoff spot. Obviously, the Oilers are, are playing uphill, and that's the tough thing. I, you know, you can, if you're in a situation you'll win four out of five and you're only back to 500, right, then you're still looking at trying to, to climb over several teams. But uh, I, I do think both teams are going to wind up having pretty good seasons when all is said that's and done. A, that's a great point, Reed. The, the one thing, and here we are, uh, you know, knocking on the 1st of November, and you've heard the whole thing where if you're not in the playoff spot by American Thanksgiving, then uh, it's something like uh, 80% of the teams don't make it to the playoffs. So uh, for both the Penguins and the Oilers, you, this is an important stretch run here the next three weeks. You do not want to be chasing this, uh, the uh, standings because then you start playing your goaltender more than he should play. Then all of a sudden your top guys start squeezing the stick more than they should. you got to bank these points right now 
Penguins did it last year. The Oilers did it last year. You start off good. You get ahead of everything come the standings. And then when you have those stinkers or you have those, you know, you lose three out of four, that there's no panic, that you can kind of take a deep breath, exhale. You don't have to overplay your goaltender. So it's going to be really interesting what happens for both these clubs in the next 21 to, say, 25 days. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Phil, it's always great to have you on the show. I hope you can pop up tomorrow night and say hi to your old teammate, Rob Brown. Thanks for talking Penguins with us, man. You can count on it. I'll be there to see downtown Robbie Brown. You bet. I enjoy the read, like always, and this was good hockey talk. Absolutely. That is Phil Bork, former Pittsburgh Penguin, former teammate of Rob Brown, two-time Stanley Cup champion with Lemieux and company. And uh, we started off talking about uh, the beard, but he does have, like, a massive, like, down to his collarbone beard. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty epic. So I had to ask him about that off the top. Houston up one nothing on the Dodgers. It's the top of the fourth in the World Series. It's seven twenty one inside sports on Ched. We got a really special guest in the next half hour. A guy who has been a pro football player. He's a Harvard grad. He works as an auctioneer. Great story. That's coming up later on the show. Darius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos. And you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Is this Feed My Frankenstein? Alice Cooper. Originally on, uh, I want to say his 1991 album, Hey Stupid. Maybe it was 92. And then it was in Wayne's World, wasn't it? All right. Good stuff, Dustin. That's... Yeah, like it's not a scary song, but it has the t- word Frankenstein in the title. So I guess we... Are you going to play Monster Mash at any point? Do you want it? Well, I'd, maybe uh, I'm saving for actually, the end. You're saving that for Valentine's Day, like <laughs> on The Simpsons. It's 7:25. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6:30. Chet Oilers play the Penguins tomorrow, and the Eskimos play the Rough Riders on Saturday. Mike Riley, one of the three players of the month for October in the CFL. I forgot to mention the team award finalists are going to be announced tomorrow. Uh, despite Brandon Zilstra's awesome season, I would expect Mike Riley to be the team nominee for most outstanding player. And quite frankly, I would think Mike Riley has a very good chance to be the West Division nominee for most outstanding player, which means he might be the front runner to be the league most outstanding player because I don't know if the East Division has anybody that's really going to stack up. But we'll see. That's a story to follow in the weeks to come. 4-4, Golden Knights and Rangers in the third. Detroit up 4-1 on Arizona after two. Halfway through the second period, Jets leading the Wild 1-0. Bottom of the fourth, Houston 1, Dodgers nothing in uh, Game 6 of the World Series. Houston trying to win it, Dodgers trying to prolong it. We'll take a timeout for the news. Uh, an incredible story. A guy who helped the Edmonton Huskies win a junior football national championship in 2005. He's had a great career with the BC Lions and a lot more to him than that. Really interesting fellow. Marco Iannuzzi coming up next. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. So Letestu and the Oilers play the Penguins tomorrow night. Those power play units at practice, McDavid, Clefbaum, Maroon, Kajula, and Letestu on one unit. Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, Lucic, Benning, and Strom on the other. So mixing them up, the power play, uh, very bad. 12.1% coming into tonight. 
Well, obviously they don't play tonight, so it's going to stay that way. And uh, the penalty killing for the Oilers is even worse, 70.3%. And a big reason they've been on the wrong side of the line uh, too often this year, 3-6-1 and one to start the year. Could see Nurse with Larson, Clefbaum with Benning, Russell, and Griba for the deep pairings. Yamamoto expected to play again tomorrow on a line with Nugent Hopkins. And Lucic will have the game for you on 6.30, Chad, 5 o'clock for the face-off show. The puck will drop at 6.30. Eskimos final regular season game Saturday in Saskatchewan. We will see where they will play a playoff game. You know, the BC Lions are going to play Toronto Saturday night at 8 after the Eskimos game. It will be the final pro football game for Marco Iannuzzi, who joined the Lions in 2011. He played junior football here in Edmonton before that. He is a, a very interesting fellow. Marco, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to talk to you, and I appreciate you making time for me under the circumstances because obviously uh, it's a busy week. And probably somewhat of an emotional week, I would guess as well. Tell me how it feels here going into your final pro game. Yeah, you know, every everything's the last. You know, yesterday was the last Monday. Today's the last Tuesday. You know, but I'm joking with the guys. I even said, hey, this this is the last time we're going to be having arguments together in the locker room. This is the last time we're going to be sharing laughs. So uh, uh, it, I'm just enjoying every second and uh, just looking back and sharing some memories with some guys and uh, no, it's really special but uh, uh, it's get, definitely getting emotional How much are you going to miss that camaraderie and maybe that, that safety of the locker room where you're with the guys that you play with like you said, maybe joke around with or even argue with sometimes How much will you miss that environment? Um, you know here's the thing is, is I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss it but uh, I'm telling you this I'm excited to move on uh, that's how I know it's the right time to move on. You know, I, I have another year left on, on this contract and, and I wanted to go out on my own terms. And, uh, and as I told myself for the past two months, I woke up every morning saying, okay, I'm going to retire. Uh, how does it feel? I'll go through the day and, and sort of do a checklist of things I'm going to miss, things I won't miss type thing. And, and, uh, you know, I'm at the point right now where it just feels right. Um, so I'm going to miss obviously the, the guys in the log. I'm going to miss, uh, uh, you know, these camaraderie, but, at the same time, what made these things so special is that they, they don't last forever. You know, some of these guys, uh, you know, that I played with over the past seven years as a pro, I, I only played one year with them. But if I run into that guy 10 years from now, 20 years from now, uh, I can remember a whole lot of memories with him. So I think that's what makes it so special is that it does come to an end and, and you really have to cherish and enjoy every moment. Marco Iannuzzi joining us on Inside Sports, ready to play his last CFL game for the BC Lions this weekend. You know, Marco, I want to look ahead, obviously, but first let's look back a little bit because you're a pretty interesting guy with with an interesting career, which included a year uh, with the Edmonton Huskies in 2005 when the team won the junior championship. And we were just talking during the break here before we came on air. Uh, My cousin, Bo Onischuk, uh, was a linebacker on that team, and you immediately remembered the name. Yeah, oh yeah, Bo, for sure. Uh, So we show up to training camp. It was uh, was probably 35 degrees every day uh, down under the high-level bridge there at at Husky House. And, uh, of course, in our downtime in between um, practices, everyone else is gassed. I remember I was catching some Zs in my truck, and all of a sudden I hear this, like, this, this whizzing engine rip right by me. I'm sitting on the edge of the parking lot, and, and this engine goes right by. I'm like, what the heck was that? It sounds like a super bike or something. Well, I hear it again, I hear it again, and finally out of the corner of my eye, I see this, this giant linebacker on this little mini pocket bike, one of those little tiny like uh, circus bikes. 
and he's zipping around the parking lot, and in his downtime, instead of taking naps, he's riding that thing. While everyone on the team is laughing and cheering him on, until he's he, you know he's going by the the rows. You hear the sound, then you don't hear the sound. You hear the sound, then you don't hear the sound. Then all of a sudden, you hear this big crash bang boom. He hit this, he hit a speed bump, and the whole thing fell apart under him. Poor guy had road rash all over his shoulders for the rest of training camp. Could barely put his shoulder pads on, but the guy was tough as nails and, and still was our best linebacker on the whole year. Oh, well, that's awesome, and that was a special year for sure because, uh, yeah, like I said, you guys won it all. And uh, that, was that your only year in Edmonton? Did you go? Did you go to Harvard right after that, or what was the progression there? I wish that was uh, uh, my. I went to Harvard right after okay. that, but uh, no, I, it took me a while. So I uh, so I went obviously all the way through Calgary for the high school. Uh, came out to Edmonton, played junior ball. We were we were zero and three. Uh, everyone in in the city, the media was was saying that we were the worst in the, on the planet, and we ended up being Road Warriors, won eight straight, and, and won the national championship. So it was a special year. Um, after that, I, I applied to Harvard again for the second time, um, and they had two hundred pages of application, hundred pages from the previous, hundred pages from the current. Sitting at that table with thirty-seven, uh, you know, interviewers from admissions, and uh, you know, they looked at me and said, "Well, what were you doing last year?" I said, "Playing junior football in Edmonton." And they said, "Well, wh- what else were you doing?" And I guess I didn't really make myself a more well-rounded person that they wanted, so I had to go up to uh, Ohio for another year and play prep school ball, and then reapplied a third year to Harvard, three hundred pages of application, and finally got in on that third time. That's incredible. Uh, and look, I-, I always ask people about balancing athletics and academics at Harvard. I just, you know, you say the name Harvard, but was that another level in terms of balancing your schoolwork and, uh, and trying to be an excellent football player as well? Well, you know, when, when I uh, didn't get in the second time, the, you know, the admissions officer said to me, he said, well, listen, you're not going to make it here because you've been outside of academia for the whole year when you were at Edmonton. You, you were just taking courses by satellite. I said, well, I, I was a good student. He's like, well, you're not ready to do, you know, a thousand pages of reading a week, a hundred pages of writing a week, um, two problem sets a week. That's a, that's a typical week. And I, I said to him, thousand pages of reading, like, what the heck? Like, that sounds like, like three novels all at once and hundred pages of writing. I said, this guy must be exaggerating. Well, sure enough, when I got there, no joke, I, I think I'd written a combined hundred pages of essays in my previous, you know, six years of school. And sure enough, that first week I had a, you know, 23 page paper due, 25 page paper due. And, and the list goes on. So all those stats were exactly right. It was tough, but you adapt really quick. Just, you know, we're, we're all, um, you know, of the same mind. I think people, when you're put in a tough situation, you, you adapt and figure it out. So I'll put it this way. I wasn't sleeping a regular night and day at Harvard. I was doing about two hours every 10 hours. So wherever I was, if I was in the air conditioned locker room, I'd catch two hours before morning lift. Uh, if I was in a, the stacks of the library, you know, eight floors below ground, uh, I'd catch a couple hours there. Uh, it was just really tough, and and but that's all I knew at the time. So now, whenever life gets whenever life gets tough and, and overwhelming, now I just think back. Hey, there was a time when I didn't have night or day. Uh, when I had NCAA football, I had Harvard. My wife and I actually got married in our second year. We had our first daughter in our third year. So uh, life was harder at one time, and it just made me stronger and, and forged me uh, to be who I am today. Well, that's an amazing experience, Marco. Marco Anuzzi from the BC Lions joining us on Inside Sports. Played for the Empton Huskies. He's talking about his experience at Harvard. What did you study there? Well, I started out economics pre-med. Um, I always, uh, my mother has MS, so I always wanted to do something in the medical field, become a researcher uh, uh, to you know, help cure MS type thing. And about two years in, uh, with my economics degree, I, I launched 
a, um, a financial group with three other guys. So we were trading foreign exchange currency and, and we started out as a digital project, just as virtual money. And before we knew it, our algorithms were doing quite well. So we raised a little cash and we turned 5,000 bucks into 180,000 bucks and you know, uh, three weeks. And, uh, we, we had a full viable business rolling. So, um, at that point I realized, okay, I don't need the rest of my economics degree. I can sort of launch this business anywhere in the world from now on. So how about I go a different route? And because I had all the pre-med, um, in my back pocket, I was able to convert my degree into, um, architecture and environmental science. The only, the only holdup was that because, uh, because I did it so late, Harvard didn't want me to take their architecture courses, uh, they didn't want me to join in uh, sort of late to the party. So I cross-registered. I said, I said, forget you guys. I cross-registered at MIT, and I took all my architecture courses at MIT. They counted towards my, my Harvard degree, and I sort of focused in the, in the realms of uh, architecture, environmental science, and engineering science at Harvard. So were you thinking that you might play pro football, or, or did that kind of come up unexpectedly when you wound up with the Lions? Uh, no, I, if, if anyone on a pro football field just appears there one day unexpectedly, they're telling you a lie because <laughs> you gotta, you, you gotta work your butt off and you gotta give yourself, uh, you gotta give your body to be a pro athlete. So no, I always wanted to be a pro. Um, but I just remember when I was a young kid, um, one of my first childhood memories was actually of my mom, uh, when, when she was diagnosed with MS and I remember asking her why she couldn't play with me that day. And and she told me that sometimes your body doesn't allow you to do the things you wanted to do. So make sure you have your mind trained just as well as your body. And, um, you know, I, I was always keeping that in my mind. If, you know, who knows if I were to get hurt or struck with some sort of uh, disease of some sort or who knows what it would be. But uh, I just always worked the best I could on both sides, whether it be sports um, and, and academics. And, and uh, you know, I, I uh, had a tough go in, in three year, or four years of uh, university. I had three shoulder surgeries. Uh, all of them required multiple screws. I think I have two plates and 18 screws all total. When you know you're a surgeon by first name basis, it's not a good thing. Um, but, but I did, uh, I did launch three businesses. Every time I had an injury, I, I used it to get myself away from sports and to get myself my mind working on something else. So it was a blessing in disguise. And, uh, when I came to the draft, you know, I might've been drafted uh, higher. I was drafted in the first round, but a couple teams passed me up, uh, because they thought, man, this guy's made a glass. He's going to get hurt. And, and who knows? He, like you said, he's just this, he's just a Harvard guy. He just wants to be a, an academic, a businessman. He doesn't want to play football, but I was, I told him I did, and Wally believed me, and then they drafted me, and, and hey, I'm, I'm glad that we get to live year-round in, in beautiful B.C., and, and we've had a lovely time raising our children here as well. All right, so, you know, I was reading about you, and you're involved with several organizations and, and charities and, and helping people out. Um, mm-hmm. I, where, where, do you, where do you get all this energy, Marco? I mean, it's incredible. Well, I mean... I think everyone at some point in their life, they, they realize that, that it sure feels good to help others out and it sure feels good to give when you can. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, they might realize it too late. So I, I just, I knew that my mom was always struggling with MS and I always wanted to help out. And, and uh, you know, I'd helped out heavily in, in, in MS for the MS Society and, and actually the Branch Out Neurological Foundation based out of Alberta. And, and uh, I quickly realized that people were coming to me and sharing stories with me about someone in their family affected by autism or, or cancer or diabetes or, or just any, you name it, uh, just so many different things out there affecting uh, someone in their life. And, it, and they felt the same way about that person in their life that I felt for my mother and MS. So I thought it was a bit selfish of me just to focus on MS. And I just started helping out. So I, I learned a talent. I looked up on YouTube how to be an auctioneer, a live auctioneer and, 
put myself out there as a live auctioneer and, and uh, I, I've been helping out with, I've raised over uh, 6 million bucks with all the charities I've helped out with. And, um, you know, I just tried to show up and, and put a smile on and, uh, you know, just share, share connections, share stories with people because in the end, you know, you can't play football forever. Uh, you can't do everything forever. But one thing that is forever is you're always around people. And uh, you're always uh, embracing each other and helping each other. And uh, if you can start that out at, at you know the age of 23, 24, and, and I get 75 more years of helping people out, it, it's, a, it's a really nice feeling. Do, do I dare ask you, can you do some auctioneering for us on air? Right. Can, can, I, can you do it uh, on sure. demand? Sure. All right. Like I get it. I, I got a football right here. How many have been down 100? How many have been down 100? 100? 100? How many have been down one and a half? Well, now one and a half, now one and a half. How about now two? How many have been down two? How many have been down two, 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 now two? Sold, sold, sold $200. That is incredible, Marco. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's been great to get you get to know you a little bit and uh, let people know about your journey. And uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're in a market where people were cheering for you when you were younger, against you when you went pro, but uh, I'm sure you always enjoyed uh, coming back to Edmonton to play. What What's the focus going to be now? Is it going to be fantastic? Family? Is it going to be uh, the auctioneering and the charities? Is it? Are you going to coach? Uh, what are you? What are you going to do now? Well, you know, I, I've, uh, I, I don't think I'm going to do um, coaching. That's for sure. If I, I want to stick around with the BC Lions organization, perhaps if there's an opportunity, but more so on the business side, I'd, I'd love to be. Uh, you know, I'll go as bold as saying I'd love to be the first 30-year-old president of a of CFL football team. Um, but uh, you know, over the past six years, I have been working on my. Uh, my wealth management practice at RBC. So I, I manage, you know, retirement portfolios for a number of clients. Uh, so that's, that's really my bread and butter. Um, but, you know, I, I've been binary and how I've found success in everything I've done is, is whatever I'm doing at that moment, at that second, I'm giving it my all, my full attention. I'm not multitasking. I don't believe in multitasking. So when I'm with my family, we're at the park playing. I'm with my family. I'm not on my phone. And, and I actually even schedule time in my calendar to say, okay, this is family time. You know, this is work time. This is practice time. Um, you know, I treat everything, uh, I give everything its full attention. And so to answer your question is I'm going to continue doing everything. <laughs> I'm going to be involved with these charities. I sit on three boards right now and, uh, I can't say no. It's tough for me to say no. I said I was, uh, over capacity. I wasn't going to do another charity. And sure enough, the, the Vancouver, um, food bank just came to me and I'm joining their board next week. So I, I just, I love helping out and I love giving my all. Um, I love helping spending time with my kids. I'm going to start coaching their soccer uh, hopefully there's something I can do in this organization here, and then I'll continue my wealth management business as well. Marco, thanks again for sharing your story. I hope you light it up in your final game coming up this weekend. Thanks for spending time with us on Inside Sports tonight. Thanks for having me, and, and shout out to all of uh, the, the Edmonton fans. I know that a lot of you have reached out to me on social media, and, and uh, you, you hate when, when us Lions are playing your um, your Eskimos, but uh, you guys have all shown me a ton of support uh, when I'm playing all those other teams. So, so thanks for the continued support. My my one year in Edmonton uh, means a lot to me. Thank you. That is Marco Iannuzzi, former Edmonton Husky, Grey Cup champion with the BC Lions. He's actually having a pretty good year, but at the age of 30, he is retiring and playing his final game this weekend. Awesome to have him on the show. You can text 63630. I'm going to clarify something with Kyler Yamamoto's contract when we get back. I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight There we go For my monster from its slab began to rise And suddenly Great to have Marco Iannuzzi on the show Playing his final game in the CFL this weekend for the BC Lions 
Dave says, uh, Reed, I'm a diehard Lions fan. I love the interview with Marco. The Big L says, great interview regarding what Marco had to say with his mom's MS. I remember a very wise person once told me that our mind was the greatest gift life has given every one of us. The amazing accomplishments of so many people with such a wide variety of disabilities makes that statement so poignant, an inspiration to all of us. And Jamie says, I feel lazy after hearing that interview. Marco Iannuzzi is a, uh, a smart guy with a lot of energy who uh, really applies himself, to say the least. That, that was great to get to know him a little bit. Thanks for tuning into that. Okay, I just want to uh, clarify something here, and, and you may remember this uh, in talk about Leon Dreisaitl a few years ago because a lot of people are asking about uh, Kyler Yamamoto if he plays tomorrow, which I think he will, that'll be his eighth game. If he plays 10 years... 10 years. If he plays 10 games this year, the first year of his three-year entry-level contract is considered to have been used. So he would have two years remaining on his entry-level contract. There's another threshold, though, that is very important, guys. If if a first-year player plays 40 games, and I, I actually found an article Bob McKenzie of TSN wrote uh, about Dreisaitl and others a few years ago. I'm just going to read it because he puts it better than I could. If a player plays in his 40th game of the season, it counts as an accrued year of service towards the seven years required to become an unrestricted free agent. Okay? So if here, here's the interesting thing. Even if Yamamoto plays 35 games, yes, he uses up a year of his entry-level contract, but if he doesn't hit 40, he can't become an unrestricted free agent for seven years after this one. So the Oilers would basically have him for eight years before he's a UFA. If he plays 40 or more, then once this season ends, he can be a UFA in six years. And I know McKenzie wrote in this article that a lot of GMs are more concerned about the 39-game threshold than the nine-game threshold. So if you think it about the long-term management of, of, of the player and keeping him under team control, it's kind of more of a big deal if he plays 40 or more than opposed to playing 10 or more. So that's another thing to keep in mind in, in Yamamoto. It, it's not, oh my God, a year of the entry level is gone if he plays 10. I would keep more of a, an eye on if he plays 40. Because if he plays 40 or more, he can be an unrestricted free agent a year sooner and then obviously leave the Edmonton Oilers uh, by his own will a year sooner. That's looking ahead, but remember that 39-40 threshold just as much as you're thinking about the 9-10 right now. I hope that made sense. You can always text 630-630. Well, if you text now, you'll be texting Charles Adler, and he probably won't want to talk about muskox tonight. I want to thank Dustin Kaufman, our studio producer, did a great job. You heard from Marco Iannuzzi, Phil Bork, Kelly Rudy, Cam Talbot, Sidney Crosby. Thanks to everybody who called and texted. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. Quickly on the scoreboard, the Rangers beat Vegas 6-4. Red Wings lead the Coyotes 4-2 late in the third. After two, the Jets are up 1-0 on the Wild. In the World Series after five, Houston leads Los Angeles 1-0. Houston trying to win their first ever World Series. My name is Reed Wilkins. I really appreciate you tuning in tonight. I'll talk to you at 5 tomorrow afternoon, the face-off show for the Penguins and the Oilers, and then we'll have the play-by-play at 6.30. Thanks for listening. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.